Good morning. Our scripture reading today begins in Genesis. You can turn in your scriptures for that. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now chapter 2 in Genesis, starting with verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the word of the Lord. It is good to be back among the living. Amen. Rini and I took a trip to Chicago a week ago Monday, and uh, when I arrived that evening at the hotel, um, I had symptoms and took a test and found out that I was positive for COVID again. And so I spent the next four nights in that hotel and didn't get to see my grandkids until the weekend. So we were there for seven days. Rini got to spend each day with them, and my sister came along too. They spent wonderful time together, and then I caught the kids on the weekend, saw them for three days. But we missed being here, and I took time to listen to the final message out of the Joy-Filled Life series, the study of the book of Philippians, and Brother Ray did a tremendous job, and I'm very thankful to him for his teaching and to you as a church for being faithful to receive it. Amen. Amen. 
you know, you can tell that we're in the summer because there are people who come and go, leaving town, going on trips and whatever, and that's a wonderful thing. That's a good thing. But uh, it's always good to see you when you return. And we have a stray that finally came home. Jackie McClellan is here today. Jackie, stand up and face the crowd. They want to see you. So good to see you, Jackie. Amen. And then you guys might remember Marty and his wife, Connie McClellan, Bill's brother. Stand up, Marty and Connie, just real quick. Let them see you. You'd never know this was Bill's brother by his height, would you? But believe me, he is. They're wonderful people, the McClellan family. And uh, so what a blessing to see you, Jackie. And I know that the congregation was excited to see your face as you walked in. And if you didn't get a chance to say hi to her, make sure you do before you leave. I know she'll want to say hi. And uh, she lives now up in the Daytona Beach Shores area. And uh, the Lord has blessed her there. But we want her back here. Amen. So let's just pray that the Lord would just somehow make it available for her to move back to Vero Beach, Florida. That's, that's where she belongs. <laughs> but she's got good support with her family, Bill's family, I know. Such a blessing to Jackie. Well, there's others of you who maybe uh, are going through difficulty, not only people traveling on vacation, but I know that uh, just a few days ago we had the funeral service for preacher Ken Brooks and Pam, his wife, is is now uh, just really without him and feeling that aloneness. And please keep Pam in prayer, if you would. We had a glorious service over at Strunk Funeral Home, and we preached the gospel and uh, are believing that people came to know Christ. But, uh, but that's one. And then also Amy uh, Reeves, her father, who was worshiping with us, he passed away. And so be with Amy and David and, and Amy's family as they suffer the loss of her father and what they're going through with that. There's, there's always life, and there's always death. And it's just part of life, is dying. But for the believer, and in the case of those who've recently passed among us, these are people who knew the Lord. So for them to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? Amen? And there's rejoicing in that. But as a church, we also mourn with those who mourn. And I know that this congregation is really good at that, coming alongside people who are rejoicing and celebrating and coming alongside those who are mourning and are grieving. Let's always be that church. Amen? People need that. That's our role. That's our participation in their life through Christ is to be there for them. So let's continue. Well, so we finished uh, Philippians and... Uh, uh, my goodness, how long were we in Philippians? I think it goes back towards the beginning of the year. So little Philippians, four chapters, and took us several months to get through. Well, we're going to start a new series when school kicks back up, and that will be a series out of the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go to the Old Testament. Amen. And uh, so some of, I guess some of you are real excited about that, and uh, others of you really look, okay, whatever. Uh, Come on, church, we're talking about God's word here. It's all good, amen, every bit of it. So, uh, but before we get to that series, I just wanted to take a few weeks, especially in this summer transition with people coming and going, and focus in on a subject that today is so important. And for Christians, it's so important that we understand uh, our biblical moorings in this area. I want to launch a series today called Choose to be a healthy family. Choose to be a healthy family. There's no entity on earth that has taken a greater hit in modern society than God's original plan for the human family. And what's important to understand is that the breakdown of the family didn't begin in this post-Christian culture that we're living in. It started all the way back in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. That's where the beginning of the problems come from. Man chose to disobey God in the garden. And because of that, that we are suffering the fallout of it. Now, the good news is God wants to restore what he originally planned in the garden for man. He wants to restore it to us. And as we understand the word of God and we obey the word of God, we come back into that restoration 
of having healthy family again. But quite honestly, most people in the world don't have a clue where family came from. They don't have an understanding of what God meant by creating family. What was his purpose behind it? And even a lot of Christians today have lost their way in understanding what it looks like to be a healthy family. It's as if we've taken our cues from a world that has no rudder. And we're just kind of going along and we're seeing this and that and we're trying this and that in our, in our family, in our marriage. And those things are not going to ever satisfy. We have to return to what God originally designed. So for the next two weeks, we'll, we're, we're going to focus on Adam and Eve. And then after that, we're going to take a week or two. I haven't decided yet. And we're going to focus on Abraham and Sarah. And then after that, we're going to take a week or two, and we're going to focus on Isaac and Rebekah. And we're going to see and learn from these three couples. And maybe we'll take another couple uh, before we're all said and done with this series. Who knows? We might even go till December. I don't know. Just kidding. Uh, but we'll, we will try to learn from these couples both the good things that they did in obedience to God and the blessing that followed them in that, and then the the mistakes, the sins that they committed, the times where they rebelled against God's beautiful design and plan for marriage and family, and the fallout that came from that. So this is an opportunity for, if you're married, wonderful. This is a series for you to strengthen your marriage. If you have a family, this is a time for you. I will address shortly here in a moment singleness, because that too is a biblical concept. The Apostle Paul addresses it, so we'll look at that too. But, but honestly, families are suffering today. And what is called family today in this society is a far cry from what God designed. So we're going to go back to the origins of family, origins of marriage. So take your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to notice no explanation given, no resume, no defense of his statement of existence. The Bible begins with the assumption that any logical person would clearly deduce that only God could create everything. The earth, the stellar heavens, the galaxies, only an infinite perfect being could create everything in perfect order. You say, well, I'm not sure about that, Pastor Greg. I'm not sure I believe in God. I'm not sure I believe that he created everything. Uh, well, here's what the Bible says about you. I'm not saying it. I'm going to hide behind the word of God. It's found in Psalm 14, verse 1. Turn there, if you will. Psalm 14, verse 1. And I'll read, but I'm going to stop, and then we're going to come back to it. So go ahead and turn. Psalm 14, 1. Here's what it says about the person who doesn't believe there's a God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The only kind of person that doesn't believe in God. By the way, if you go to the college campus, the professors who claim to be so wise, who come off as the intelligentsia of the world, well, the Bible says if they don't believe in God, they're fools. Now, either the Bible's true or the Bible is false. One or the other is, is the truth. I believe it's true. The reason I believe it's true is because when Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came to this earth incarnate, walked among us, fully human and fully God, he kept quoting the Old Testament. Why would Jesus quote the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament is true. So this is true stuff here. We're not talking about fantasy world. See, here's the problem. Sin has so contaminated the world. And, and that sin of contamination is the sin of rebellion against God. The author of that is Satan. He's the one who puts in a person's mind, in their heart, not to believe God. He tries to build them up to think that they themselves are their own God. I'm the captain of my soul. I choose and determine the outcome of my life. Well, you can do that. Go ahead. But God says you're a fool if you do it. 
And so I want you to see, if you look further in, in Psalm 14, look what it says. First, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now he lays out the foundation for what's going on today in the world. This is the world today. They are corrupt. They meaning the people of this world. Meaning, listen now, you and me. In our original state before we came to Jesus Christ, we were corrupt. We do abominable deeds. Look at this now. There is none who does good. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, they're a good person. They have a good heart. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can possibly know it? You were born into sin. You have committed sin. You are not good. I'll tell you how not good you are. You could never stand before God in your goodness and find your way into his eternity in heaven. Because God isn't just good, God is perfect. And a perfect God demands justice for sin. And the Bible says that the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. And there's no way out of that. No man can get himself out from under. No woman can get themselves out from under the sin debt that they, that they have before a holy, perfect, just God. And God, because he's God, can't wink at sin. He can't brush it off under the rug and act like, well, okay, I'm God. I can just make, make that go away. No, no. He's just. He's holy. If he lets it go, he's no longer holy. He's just like you and I. We sweep things under the rug, right? Not God. So God had to come up with a plan which he devised before the foundation of the world. The Bible speaks of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 13 as the lamb that was slain, listen now, before the foundation of the world. Before God made man, he knew man would choose to sin. Man would be in rebellion to God. God already had a plan to recover relationship with man through his son, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. The key to the whole deal is the cross. What happened on the cross is essential for every believer to understand. That's where you were reconciled back to God by grace through faith. You've received salvation. It was a gift of God, a free gift. You didn't earn it. Your goodness wasn't good enough. Never has been, never will be. He goes further. Verse 2, the, look, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. Look what the answer is, verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. You're so not good that you cannot save yourself. When somebody says to you, well, I just decided to follow God, that is a lie from the pit of hell. They don't understand the truth. The truth is no man in his sinful state will seek God. It's God who seeks man. The scripture says that no man can come to the Father except the Holy Spirit draw him. Let me let this touch home right now. You're here this morning. You think you know why you're here. Maybe you're here because this is your church home and I go every Sunday. I'm here because I love the fellowship. I'm here because I put up with the preaching. Um, I'm here because a friend invited me. That's why I'm here. I'm going to beg to differ with you. I believe the reason you're here today hearing this sermon and hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is because God is drawing you. The question is, is your pride keeping you from seeing that? 
Or are you willing to humble up before a holy God and out of a broken heart, a heart that is corrupt with sin, a heart that cannot repair itself, a heart that is not good in the eyes of a holy God, can you humble up and can you out of brokenness cry out to the God who has called you and surrender to him and receive his free gift of eternal life? But more than just eternal life, receive restoration to be reconciled back to God that you can now have the same kind of relationship that Adam had with God before he sinned in the garden to be restored by God so that the Holy Spirit now lives in you and you are able now to return to healthy family to begin to pursue a healthy marriage and by the way the best Christian marriages have problems. They just do. That's why Paul spoke of singleness as a gift. <laughs> he did. In 1 Corinthians 7, he addressed it. He called it a gift. He said, because if you're single and you're not desiring to be married, that's a gift from God. Now you can give all of your time and your focus to serving the Lord, to bringing glory to his name. But Paul said this, but if you're married, you can't do that. You've got to be weighed down. He actually uses the word that speaks of anxiety, a heaviness. You've got to be weighed down with caring for your spouse, providing for their needs. You can't just focus on the Lord and the Lord's work. You've got to care about them. That's part of Christian marriage. It's not easy to be a Christian and be married. But I'm telling you right now, if you are a believer and you follow Jesus Christ, you have a greater chance of living out a healthy marriage than anybody else on this earth. To the degree that you obey God and follow his word and his precepts, you will experience God's very best that he designed in the beginning before the fall for husband and wife. You can experience that. Let's keep moving here. I, I, I don't know how far we're going to get. I, again, this is just, I want to take the word and let the word speak to us. So this is not how God created man, but this is where Adam and Eve ended up by their own sinful actions. They fell into sin, and it changed the trajectory of their lives. And you and I experience suffering today in this world because of that sin. Now, here's the point. Whether you see God as creator or not doesn't change the fact that he is God and he is creator. You can go ahead and disagree. You can have your opinion on the subject. But your opinion will die with you. God's truth that's found in his word will never pass away, the scripture says. It will always be true. This modern day where now it's being taught in the university and it's now just a pollution in the eyes and the ears of our children and the, our young students is that somehow everything is truth if it's true for you. This relativism that if I say to somebody today in the university campus, well, I'm not really a man, I'm really a dog you know what they would say back to me? Now, what would you say to me if I was serious and I said, I'm not really a man, I'm a dog? You would say, you are crazy. You're out of your mind. Not on the, in college campus. On the college campus, well, if that's what you think you are, who am I to say that that's not true for you? That is how far we've fallen into a sinful culture. I want to call you back from the, by the word of God, back to truth, that you would know who you are, that you would know what God truly meant by the design of marriage, what he meant by the design of the human family, and that we would somehow recover from some of the dysfunction and the brokenness in our family, in our marriage, and come back into health. 
Paul even gets involved in this, talking about God being the creator and how true it is. Listen to what Paul said. Turn in your Bible. I'm going to have you turn with me to these passages because each one uh, speaks to, to its own, and you need to maybe mark it, underline it, whatever. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, or chapter 1, rather. We'll start in chapter 1. Might not get to chapter 2. Colossians 1, and let's look at verse 15. By the way, it's a good thing to bring your Bible when you come to church. Uh, I will say this. I read this week Paul Washer put out a quote. Man, I thought it was so good. You know what he said? Don't worry about being near, going, attending the closest church to your house. How about finding the church that's nearest to the Bible? Amen? We should have our Bibles. That's not for me getting on you and belittling you and berating you. That's me encouraging you. Have your word, the word of God with you. Okay, so let's look at Colossians 1.15. Paul said, he is the image. Speaking of Jesus Christ, this is the greatest teaching on the Christology, the doctrine of Christology, the doctrine of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is literally the image of God the Father, who you cannot see. When Jesus came to the earth, he was the visible picture of God. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about his looks. We don't have a clue what his looks. Any picture you see of Jesus, that's hogwash. And if you have one, get rid of it. Why? That's idol worship. It's false. You don't know what Jesus looks like. Okay? You, you get people who argue over what color Jesus is. What race was Jesus from? Well, he was Jewish. Okay? We know that much. You hear about the guy, two preachers that were good friends, but they got into a bad argument on their way to a revival meeting. One was asking the other, what color do you think Jesus is? And the black pastor said, well, I think he's black. And the white pastor said, well, I think he's white. And they got into such an argument that they had an accident, hit a tree, and both of them died. Now they're standing in heaven, and they looked at each other, still wanting to finish the argument. Well, now we're going to find out. And they walk down the street. They look up, and there's the Lord. And he says, Buenos dias. <laughs> now, that's a foolish story because you know that's not true. But it does make a point, doesn't it? We get our pictures of who Jesus is, who God is. We need the picture that the Bible gives us, and that's all we need. Just go with the word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean literally the first one born. No. Adam came before Jesus came incarnate. But Israel was called the firstborn. They were the chosen. They were the ones who were gr greatly esteemed by God. First in priority and privilege. That's what it means when it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Did you know that? By Jesus, all things were created. And in him, all things hold together. Did you know that? Jesus holds this whole deal together. And he is the head, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, listen now, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's why he came. Jesus came to this earth for one reason. He came to die, to die for the sins of man, to ransom man from his sinful condition and restore him in right relationship to God. So God put man in a perfect situation in the Garden of Eden, and man blew it. But I want to talk to you about that perfect environment. We'll at least get that far today. Let's talk about that. This is, an in, this is <coughs> you know, people will say, well, the reason I'm the way I am is you don't know my background. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my mother was like. You don't know, I never had a dad. 
and we go into all these scenarios, okay, um, as if that's why we turned out the way we did. That's, listen now, it's a contributing factor, but it is not the number one reason for why you are the way you are. That is a lie, and I'm going to prove it to you. Because when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, he made everything perfect. They were perfect. A perfect gene pool. And they chose to sin. Perfect environments are not the answer for man. The answer for man is to recognize his sinful heart and turn back to a perfect God. So let's see here. Number one, let me give you several things. Write them down quickly. We'll move quickly through this. Number one, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Talk about perfection. You can't find a more solid foundation to build upon than that, right? Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me say it again, male and female, he created them. We were made to be image bearers of God, both male and female, equal in position before God, diverse in our function. So we're all equal, men and women are equal at the foot of the cross. A man cannot be more spiritual than a woman can become. A man does not possess more gifts than a woman possesses. In many cases, the woman has more than the man. It just depends on the couple. You're equal in position, spiritually speaking, but you are diverse in the role that you play as a man versus the role that a woman plays as a woman. Okay? So that's the first point. They were made in the image of God. Perfect. Great foundation. Now, number two. They had a great job. We read it earlier. Let's repeat it. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue the earth. Man has been given the right to subdue, to have authority over all the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2.15 Backs it up. Listen to what it says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That was Adam's job. He had a great job to oversee what God created on this earth. Thirdly, number three, Adam and Eve were the highest forms of creation. There is no creation on this earth higher than than man and woman. They could reason. They could make choices. Adam was even given the responsibility of naming all the animals. I would say that they, had, they were the highest form of creation, and the Bible says that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. Genesis 2, 19 through 20. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Number three, they were the highest form of creation. That's how we know it. Number four, they had a clear mandate from God. The first man and woman had a very clear mandate. Genesis 1.28, here it is. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Fill the earth, the scripture says. So we are to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it by ruling over everything that moves on the earth. This includes naming all the animals. What a mandate. And it's not confusing. God's very clear here. 
Eve got up every day and said to Adam, so what are we going to do today? He said, well, we're going to tend to the animals and to the plants and everything. But before we do, we need to be fruitful and multiply. Amen, brother. That's a sweet gig. The first family had it all. Everything they could want, everything they could need. The Garden of Eden was a five-star resort, and God was the architect and creator and developer. And he made Adam and Eve partners in managing it. They had a clear mandate. Fifthly, they had clear boundaries. God set boundaries for Adam and Eve in the garden. Before they sinned, he set boundaries. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, listen now, didn't suggest to man, he commanded man. And do not think for a second that that command has been lifted. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, the word die there is not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. In the day that you eat it, that day you eat of it, you will spiritually die. Immediately when they ate it, fellowship with God changed. It was broken. Not God's choice man's choice okay so there's a part of you that is not physical and that part of you will live for all eternity you're you you will live either in heaven or you will live in hell for all eternity and if you sin and you don't repent and you don't come to god's terms of peace through jesus christ the son you will spend eternity in hell i don't care how good you are doesn't matter how good your reputation is. None of that can change your outcome. Only God can change it. And you have to surrender to his plan for that. So here's what we need to understand. God knew before he even created Adam and Eve that they would make the wrong choice. You say, well, why, why would he do that? Because he didn't want to create man to be robots that automatically are wired to worship him. He gave man the ability to choose. Listen now, not to choose salvation. That's God's choice. God comes after us. We don't go after God. But once we're saved, we have a choice every day whether we will honor God and worship him as God or we will sin and follow things that are in this world. That is on every one of us. It's on every one of us. So God gave us the responsibility to worship him, but not to force us to worship him. That is part of man's responsibility. So God clearly set up boundaries for man. There was no confusion. You get all of this. What's all of this? The garden. And you get none of this. What's that? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Those were the boundaries. God was clear in it. But unfortunately, man chose to go a different direction. Let me just give you a couple thoughts coming out of some really bad news in Genesis. Man chose not just to follow Satan, not just to do it his own way. Man chose to fall. Man chose to be unhealthy and broken in his relationship with God. Man chose to allow dysfunction to be in his relationship with his wife. He chose dysfunction for his family. You understand that? Until we understand that, we won't take serious the opportunity God's presenting us to restore our marriages and our families. you got to start with sin. And so let me give you a couple ways that that we see uh, 
this happening. Number one, Eve entertained Satan's lies. That's how they came into unhealth. She entertained Satan's lies. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, and by the way, the serpent was Satan. That's confirmed in Revelation 12, 9. The serpent in the garden, Scripture tells us, was actually Satan. Okay? So these people who want to say to you, well, the serpent's just a, it's just a figure of speech. It really wasn't any kind of a... You know, no, it was Satan. He was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Is that what God said? Not to eat of any tree in the garden? So he's causing Eve to question what God really said. Did God actually say, are you sure that you heard him clearly? Any, see, that's the attack of the enemy today amongst our young people and even marriages. Is It's not to say to you, no, don't do it that way, because you, you would know better. You'd say, no, I know, I'm not going to not do this. This is what's right. So what they do is they say, well, are you sure? Are you sure that's the right way to go on this? Are you sure that there's not other ways? That's how Satan works. That's what makes him cunning. He's the master at questioning what God has made clear. Eve should have simply said, when he asked her that question, she simply should have said, yes, he actually made it very clear to us. But she didn't. She entertained his baited lie. What do you do when the world gets up in your face and parades promiscuity and infidelity and role reversal? When you clearly know what God has said about it, you know the boundary. So why do you constantly watch the shows and get caught up in following people who are caught up in worldly ways? Why? See, it's all an attempt by Satan to get you to question God's original intent for man and woman, for family. Don't think for a second that you can have healthy marriage and healthy family if you're picking up nuances from the world. Think about it. How many shows on television right now disregard the boundaries of family as God has ordained? How many shows disregard the boundaries? Almost all of them. How many shows and movies work hard to separate men and women? Those of you who've gone to the new movie out, Barbie, and if you haven't, you know what the whole purpose of the movie is? To separate men and women. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. Satan is the one behind this idea of rewriting the role of man and woman. He can't create anything. He doesn't have power to create. God's the creator. So all he can do is take what God's created and try to corrupt it. Listen, he takes God-given drives and he tries to fulfill, get you to fulfill them in God-forbidden ways. So you're a young person. And you have a desire to be loved. Maybe there's an extra desire for love because you're not getting love in the home. Maybe you're a, a girl and you, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're wanting to be loved. That's not a bad thing. That is a God-given desire for men and women to, to be loved. But what Satan does, it comes along and says, okay, yeah, that desire's there, but Here's how you can fulfill it. And so this girl meets this guy who doesn't know the Lord, or he claims to know the Lord, but obviously by his actions, he's not walking or living close to God. And he shares a lie with her. What's the lie? I love you. What is she starving for? Love. But ladies, let me just say this about guys because i'm a guy when a guy shares a line like that i love you it's a lie he's after something in many not all cases but in many cases he's after something else 
And that's what he does. He doesn't realize it, but he is actually being used of Satan to fulfill in that, that girl a God-given drive in a God-forbidden way. Healthy family looks like this. Because I raised three daughters. I know a little bit about it. Your daughters need to know that as a father, you are there to protect and to provide and there to love them. They need love. But your love is a healthy love. It's a protective love. It's a godly love. And when a girl doesn't have that, she's going to seek for love in other ways. And Satan is just standing ready to give her all kinds of unhealthy options. The, the, the only thing Satan can do is corrupt what is good. I'd love to say that the Christian marriages in this room, every one of them, is healthy. I know that that's not the case because I know some of your stories. And I know that every day that you are married, Satan is trying to pull you apart. He's trying to get you to focus on your spouse and not look at you. It's a lie. You never start with the spouse. You start with you. Forget about asking God to bring the right person in your life. How about learning to be the right person? So the outcome of popular culture today is to turn inside out what God established in the beginning. And this stuff is influencing our thinking and polluting the minds of our children. But John gave a stern warning for us as Christians. See, we don't have, a, we don't have an excuse before God. When we stand before God, there's no excuses for how we lived, for the choices we made. Take your Bible. We're going to close with this. I, I, I've only covered one point here in, in man choosing to be unhealthy and broken. We'll hit some other points next week, and I'll, I want to flesh it out about the role. Go back and talk about this, you, this, this interesting equality of position between man and woman before God and diversity of function. I want to go further with that. But right now, let's just let's focus on 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I want to drive home the point that we've been trying to make here. Again, I'm, I'm letting the Word of God speak to you today. It is not important that you hear my thoughts, my ideas. What is important is that I be true to the Word of God, give you the Word that the Word of God might speak to you. Okay? So let's look at this. 1 John 2, 15. Look what it says. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Everything that God's ever said to you in Scripture is to love. Love, love, love. Love people. Love God. And here all of a sudden, do not love pretty strong and he's being specific don't love the world look what he says if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever do not love the world there, there are different meanings of the word world in the new testament one of them is speaking of the galaxies and this earth and everything that god created on the earth he's not saying don't love the things that god created obviously and another thing that world sometimes represents is people uh John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. When he says that, he's speaking of people as a whole, in general. That we're to, Listen, we're called to love our enemies. Amen? So he's not saying don't love people. We are to, we're called to love all people. Even people who are whacked out, weird, and every other thing going on in their life. We're to love them. 
enough to pray for them, enough to share the gospel with them. But what does he mean by this? He's saying, don't love the things and those who are against the kingdom of God and against the king. Don't love the things that are against everything God stands for. That's what you're not to love. Don't love it. Don't love that. This was Eve's first mistake. She entertained the bait that Satan gave her. And she loved the world. The things that God said, don't touch. Or don't, don't eat. He didn't say don't, don't touch. He said don't eat. I want to stop there this morning. And there's a lot more that we'll cover next week. We'll try to finish up Adam and Eve next week. Then we'll go to Abraham and Sarah on a different focus. But I, I want us to pray. And I want you to just think about your family. I want you to think about your marriage. Don't think of your marriage from the angle of looking at your spouse. Think about your marriage from you. Have I put God first in my life? Am I obeying God in how I love my spouse? That's convicting. For me, that's convicting. If you're in a dating relationship, is your heart right? Young men, I spoke about the young ladies. Let me say this about the young men. You don't have to be a delivery boy for Satan's bait. You can choose. You can choose to obey God and to be a man of God. I told my son this when he was a little boy, and I just told my oldest grandson. I, I got him a book, and I wrote in the book, and I said this. What your pop wants more than anything else for you is for you to grow up and be a man of God. You can be a garbage man. I don't care. That's fine. But you be a man of God as a garbage man. Whatever you do, you be a man of God. Young men, be men of God. Don't take advantage of girls. Don't let Satan use you to deliver the bait. Put your own fleshly desires on hold and follow God's mandate and wait until you're married to experience physical intimacy the way God designed it. And by the way, God did create sex and it's good when it's done God's way. And it is ugly and it is devastating and it rips people apart when it's done in an ungodly way. So think about your marriage. Think about who you are. I don't know if there's a song that we can do at the close. Brenton, I know that you, we talked. He, he actually mentioned something to me. I don't know if there's anything, Brenton, you have in mind. Uh, but let's just take a moment and let's think about, think about you. Think about your relationship to God. Think about your, how are you handling from your angle? Am I doing the things that will bring health into my marriage into my family and we haven't even really talked about those things of health we're going to cover that next week but let's begin thinking about that maybe that'll whet our appetite to really press into the word and let god speak to us and change us so that our marriage can change it does take two to tango but listen it starts with you and start with them that's god's business with them it starts with you Let's just think about that for a moment, and then we'll come back and we'll pray a closing prayer.